All right, incognito. We're going to pick right up. I want to jump in, actually, to a passage that we explored at the Lake Merced campus last week on Easter. I want to look at Luke 24. Now, Luke 24, we're just going to sort of sit with the, the piece, the scripture. You can follow along in your handouts. And if you have your Bible, go for that as well. If you have your Bible app, that's, that's fine. Whatever works. But here's the thing. I want to read through quickly, fairly quickly, the first few verses of Luke 24. So it says that on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. So here's the account of the resurrection from Luke's gospel. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. That were the, they, these were the women who had a desire to honor Jesus in his death. Everybody had saw him die. It was awful. Uh, the dream, whatever it was, was crushed. And the disciples didn't really know what to do. The whole, the whole thing had blown up. And Jesus' ending, which we'll talk about in a moment, was not just an ending. It was a very bad ending. But it, there were people who felt, no matter, even if he wasn't who we thought he was, we would still want to honor him. And so what happened is that they decided that they were going to go to the tomb, especially the women here, which the women are going to be, interestingly enough, the first people to ever declare the resurrection of Jesus. They will be the first in a long line of people, the first of millions and millions of people who will declare that Jesus is alive, just like we were doing last week. And they're also going to see, you're going to see, they're also going to be the first to be rejected in that declaration as well. Watch what follows. It says that they found the stone when they came to the tomb. There was a stone that had been there that was rolled away. And, when they, and then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, there were two men who stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? A fantastic question, by the way. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day he would rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And so, like I mentioned, this was going to be something that they were going to share. And I feel like, I feel like in a lot of ways, they were expecting everybody to rally behind that and to, and to get totally excited. I mean, we're, we're told here that they, they went to the eleven and the rest. Who are those people? Uh, the 11, we know, they're the disciples, the original ones, except for Judas, who's gone. And he really has fallen off the edge. Right? Judas, Judas kills himself. He throws the money away. And, and he takes his own life. It's an awful moment. Right? But the, the, who are the rest? See, there's a, there were a lot of other people who are unnamed in the Bible who had actually attached themselves to Jesus. We know that there were at least 120 of them on the day of Pentecost. It was like a little mini church, a small church. And then out of that 120, there was also a group of 70. And out of that group of 70, you had the disciples themselves, 12. And then even out of the disciples, there was kind of like a, a closest circle with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And then you had maybe the one whom, who was maybe the closest to Jesus, who at least identified most with his heart, would be John. The Bible describes that. But the rest here, we don't know their names, but we know that there were a lot of other disciples who had gathered. And so they were all like, they were together. It was sort of like they had come together in their trauma to try to work it through. Now, when, they, when the women come back, and we're told that it was the, a couple of the Marys, Mary Magdalene, one of the other Marys, and, and Joanna, they come back, and they're, they're in utter excitement. They're saying, you're not going to believe what we've seen. Um, 
We went to the tomb. We didn't know how we were going to roll away the stone. It was already rolled away. We went in there to look for the body of Jesus so we could honor him. He wasn't there. In fact, what we saw were these two, I, we don't know how to describe it. They were like, they looked like angels. They were men, but they looked like angels. And they, they told us that Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive, just like he said. And they, and, and instead of everybody saying, wow, that's amazing. Let's go check it out. Um, we believe you. The exact opposite happens. It's like they didn't believe them. They said, whatever you are, most likely emotional right now, right? You're, you're clearly out of your mind, or at least you're, you're, we, we know you loved him, but don't make things up, please. Look what it says. It says here in verse 10, it says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But look at that, look at that 11th verse. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I mean, straight up, there's no missing, missing of words here. Right? They just said, you loved him, I, we get it, you know, you want to believe, we believe that you believe, but come on, we all saw him die. Don't, look, don't, you know, just get some rest, get some rest, and, um, you know, but you know what it says, though, that Peter and John in particular, they realized something did happen. They didn't know what it was. Maybe they, they probably thought, oh, someone tried to steal the body. Probably someone stole the body. But in their mind, even though they didn't believe what the, what the women were saying, right, about seeing these two guys and Jesus being alive and all that, we know, we know, he's gonna, we know we're all going to rise again on the, the great third day, the day of resurrection. Yeah, we get all that. Jesus told us that. But come on. Right? We, you saw what happened to him. But enough, there's enough interest on the part of Peter and John that we are told that Peter takes off running. And he wants to go and find out what's happened. And if you take Luke's account, which only tells us about Peter, and you put John's account in there, you read what happens. It says that, that actually John and Peter both take off running. Peter is only mentioned here in Luke. But in John's account, he says he also started running. And John also mentions that he actually beat Peter to the tomb, just to be clear, <laughs> uh, which I love that, right? And the, and the picture is that John, when he gets there, he looks into the tomb, uh, but he doesn't go in. So he beats Peter. He's a faster runner. But he doesn't go in. But Peter's nature, when he gets there, probably huffing and puffing as he gets there, he pushes John away and he goes in. It's a very different personality. And we're told here, it says that, um, look at it, it says in verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths. We would call those the wrappings. Like they wrapped Jesus' body in these cloths. And the women were actually coming to put the final kind of ointment on the decaying body that was wrapped, right? And so we know they had done that in haste, but they were these cloths that were wrapped around the body, and they were wrapped around the head as well. There was usually a gap there. And what caught Peter's attention was that, and, and it says that actually in John's account, he says that he actually, from what he saw, which I'm about to describe, he actually believed. It says that at that moment, John actually believed. Peter wasn't sure. But what they saw was not the, like what you would have expected. If someone had taken the body and just unwrapped Jesus, the body, and they would have taken the, the claws and just like thrown them into a pile. And it would have been left there in some tangled mess. But what, if you look at the language that it's translated into, what it implies is that they fell into folds. So that what was in there, when Peter gets there, when John's looking at it, Peter comes in and he's getting, he, 
he's engaged in it. He sees that what was in it was, was almost like what was in it, instead of being unwrapped and unraveled, it was just like what was in it was gone. And so it falls in its folds to the ground. And he can see that it's almost like whatever was in there is just gone, but nothing's been unwrapped. And John believes, it says instantaneously. Peter, we're told here, says he marveled. Um, notice the phrase there. This is, it says that he's, he's really wondering about this. He, he goes home trying to process out. Could it, could it be? Right? So in his mind, he can't, he can't connect how this could be, but he also couldn't deny what he was seeing. And so he's sort of stuck in this place where it's almost like his, his disbelief is being assaulted by something he can't really explain. The women are saying, they told us he was alive. He didn't see those, those two people. But he saw evidence that would have suggested that something extraordinarily, extraordinary had happened. Now, what happens in Luke's account is it flips. It's like all of a sudden, it changes the direction and goes into an entirely different scene. Luke's account is the only one that actually tells us what, what we're about to look at. And what we're about to look at is going to form the bulk of where we're going for the next four weeks. We're going to talk about this wonderful account, an exchange that occurs between two of Jesus' disciples. Again, that unnamed group of the rest, who's one of the names we're going to find out later. But this group, evidently, there were, well, look what it says here. It says that that very day, look at verse 13. That very day, two of them, two of that group that were referred to as being attached to Jesus, the followers whose names we wouldn't have known necessarily, they, were, they had believed in Jesus, but everything seemed gone, done, over. They were going to a village named Emmaus, uh, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I asked them if they could put up a map, just because I think it's always helpful to get geographical continuity. By the way, you mean to, even today, see where Jerusalem is in relation to the Mediterranean Sea? Little, Israel's a very small piece of land. It's almost the center of the world, though. So many of the, the ancient battles of the world were fought in this area. Uh, if you, if, but just looking in Israel itself, you'll see that in the north, there's the Sea of Galilee. In the south, there's what we call the Dead Sea. The river that runs down is the Jordan River, essentially. And it falls into the Dead Sea, but there's nowhere for it to go. And so it, it's things, there's no outlet. It's called the Dead Sea. But it's not far from Jerusalem. If you were to go from Jerusalem, you would walk into this village. There was this village called Emmaus. That's where these two were heading. They evidently had started to head out after the whole thing had melted down. We don't even know if they were there when the women came back with their report. We think they were because of what they say. But the truth is, they didn't believe them. And so they had taken off for their, on another journey. So they don't even get to hear about Peter and John and their questions. All they hear about is the, the women had said something about Jesus being alive. No one believed it. And they already headed out to Emmaus. Do you see these two heading out to Emmaus? It says, and look at this. It says that they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. As friends do, they were walking and talking. Seven miles, long time. Take a walk, right? It's a nice walk. And they were talking together, walking together. And, you know... Um, we, you know, the, the other thing that we know is that they, they had a no checking the phone rule in place, right? So 
that meant they couldn't look at any pictures on Instagram, uh, no check Facebook, they weren't able to text while they were actually had to be present and actually talk to each other for that whole time. I, I laughed about it. I have, this, I, have, I have this friend who I'm talking and all of a sudden, all I'm seeing is this, right? I'm saying, hey, I'm talking to you right now. And my wife says, I do it too, all right? So I guess I'm guilty in a different way. I, I you know, texting. Hey, oh, hold on a second. Let me, let me go ahead. I'll get back to you guys in a moment here. I just need to finish this up. Hey, um, something more important is uh, I'm supposed to be doing right now. So I'll get back to you, okay, right now? All right, here we go. So here's the thing. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying, right? Being present. I'm telling you, they were present with each other because they didn't have anything to distract them. And you know what they were doing? They were talking about something, and we know what they were talking about. Now, we don't know the specifics, but we know what they were talking about because it says they were discussing and process. They were interacting around all the things that had happened. Happened where? In Jerusalem. Over Passover. And I tried in my mind's eye, and I always invite, I always invite us to try to use our imagination, which is a gift that God gives us, to sort of try to place ourselves in our mind's eye with them. And I imagine them walking down the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. They've left the city. They're now on that open trail, basically. There are people that come and go. There are different taverns along the way, places where people might stay. But for the most part, it's a pretty barren place. They're walking down the road. They're talking, though. They have the advantage of space, and they have time, and they're not interrupted, and they can talk with one another, and they're friends. And they start discussing stuff. That's what the Bible tells us. And what they start talking about, really, is what has literally traumatized their lives. Can you believe what happened? I, I can't. It was so bad. I know. I mean, it was just seven days ago when, you know, Jesus came into Jerusalem and everybody called him Messiah, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. The whole city was excited. And then to watch what had, hap to watch what had happened to him was utterly devastating. It's hard, it's hard to explain. I mean, it's almost like they would say to one another, we committed, we believe, you believed and I believed. We believed him to be Messiah. We believed him to be the son of God. We believed that he was the promised one of Israel, that he was going to be the one who was going to lift us up, the, prom, the one who was fulfilling all the promises of the prophet. It, looked, it was him, his word. You saw what he did. You saw the things he did. You saw with your own eyes. You heard his words. There were words like nobody else had ever spoken. I mean, did you feel it too? When he spoke, there were times where it was almost like you would say to yourself, if God were speaking, he would speak like this. And then to watch what happened to him, it, to watch it, to have loved him, to have believed in him, to have put everything in your life behind him, and then to watch it unravel the way that it did. And it was so bad. It wasn't just a unraveling. It was bad. It was bad. They, they, they took Jesus and they, they literally beat him to a pulp. The Romans got him. They worked him over. And to watch it happen. And then, of course, they could say, do you remember you, <laughs> when they pushed him through the streets like that? He was strong. He couldn't even carry his own cross. They had to pull that guy from the crowd and bring him over and say, help him carry it. 
He was a bloody mess. Face was puffed. His back was shredded. It was so bad. And then they put him on the, on the cross and they hammered him there, stuck him up there on Criminal Hill, Golgotha, with two thieves next to him. And then his enemies came. And you, you know, they, they spit on him. They taunted him. They, they, he was basically naked. I can't even want this. I'm, I'm listening to these guys talk. I don't understand. And then part of them are going, but we thought, I, didn't you believe that he was who he said he was? Yes, I, I did believe. I believe the same thing you believed. And I still believe he was a great man. He was a, he was a prophet. He was, he was a prophet. I believe that. Sent from God. But he wasn't who he said he was. That, that's pretty clear. And as they're having that conversation, right? Because this we know it was based around that. Look what, look what it says happened. <laughs> look what it says happened. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, the older version says conversing and reasoning together, Look what it says. Jesus himself, what? Drew near and went with them. Do you understand? Know Jesus is incognito. It, basically, he's in disguise, but it's not a costume. He's intentionally unrecognizable. Um, the version says his eyes, their eyes were restrained. They couldn't recognize him. And I tried again. You know, we're going to talk a lot more about it next week, but... You know, they're having this conversation. Next thing you know, there's this person. He's kind of trailing them. Next thing you know, they're going like, hey, what's up? You know, kind of like, who are you? <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know. And they're, talk they're just keep their conversation going, whoever he is. And they're having that discussion. And they're reasoning together. They didn't know that Jesus was among them. And that I... I looked at this and I thought, okay, there's a lot of stuff for us to glean. And I just want to present where my heart is. I think it will help some of us. But one of the things that caught my attention was the value of friendship. I want to put this up. Here we see the value of friendship when it comes to working through difficult issues that weigh on us and perplex us. I think we got to remember what a precious gift friendship is. And when we have quality people in our lives, especially if those friendships are built around a common love for Jesus... It's like a treasure, a huge value. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm such a believer in small groups, because it's out of small groups often that friendships are formed that deeply resonate in our heart. And, and there, friendships are places that allow us to, to ponder things, to reflect things, to converse, to exchange ideas. And when they're working, perf really, when they're working quite well, we can pray for one another. Um, you know, the Bible always reminds us that two is better than one, three, even better than two in some cases. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 4. I wanted to put this up. Many of us know this passage, but I want us to see it afresh perhaps. Two people, the scripture says, are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble, right? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, overcome, but two can actually stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easy to break. Get strong. So here we see, in my mind, two friends. You know what they really are right here? If I just, they're, but that, by the way, that's the value of others. That's the value of others in our lives. That's why we're not meant to follow Jesus. One of the great principles of Scripture is don't do it alone. 
Invest in a community. Pursue relationship. Very important. Uh, I look at these two friends. You know what they basically are? They're disillusioned believers. They've had a trauma, a big one. I mean, their world's, their dreams are, have been essentially undermined. Their, their aspirations, their, the way they thought things were going to go. They're, they're trying to work through their questions. They're trying to work through their disappointment. They're trying to work through what was, for them, incomprehensible. Um, one of the things we know is that Jesus always sent his followers out two by two, never alone. He wouldn't let them go. He always said, you go with someone else. And here they are on the backside of what was clearly a painful disaster exercising the same principle. We'll make this journey together. We'll, we'll talk about it along the way. And, they, and again, they conversed in reason. You know, one of the, I have two other verses that mean a lot to me around this idea of needing other people in my life is to, to give strength and, and encouragement in, in Christ. I think the, the best way the Christian life is lived is with others. And it's best lived, as Jesus taught us, when we have people who are close to. He modeled that. He had a small group. And he had friends within that small group. And if that was true for him, and then he had a larger community. That's the model. It's the model of the Christian life at its best. In two verses, though, that really have meant a lot to me over the years, and now I've had a number of years following Jesus, I haven't always gotten it right. There have been times where I've hit, I, maybe I haven't been as devastated as, as these two were. But I've felt pain, and I've felt questions, and I've had things that have challenged my faith along the way. And two, two verses, one from the Older Testament, one from the New, mean a lot to me, and I'm going to submit them to you. One of them is found in Proverbs 18.1. It says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own judgment, right? His own desire and rages against all judgment. Um, the person who pulls away from community when things are getting going awry or wrong, or when life isn't making sense. That's the that, and that is such a normal tendency on our part when we're hit with trauma or things that don't make sense or feel perhaps even forsaken by God or begin to question like they were clearly questioning. What is this? We thought Jesus was who he said he was. He clearly wasn't. What's God up to? Why would he allow that to happen? It's so bad what happened. I don't even know if I, I don't understand it, right? They're reasoning together. The person who isolates themselves seeks their, they're sort of like, we said it, we, you know what happens, but when we isolate, we, we are not taking into, a, into account our vulnerability and our, and our ability to see things wrong. And we, we all have blind spots. The value of the other is that that can help us to move through things well. One of the things that we're taught in James, and this is like James 5, right? And I have them put this up as well. But we're told here, therefore, confess your faults, your sins, one to another, right? And pray for each other that you can be healed. And on the backside of that is the prayer of a righteous person the older version says, avails much. Actually does a tremendous amount of good. It has great power as it starts to work. Here's the thing. There are some things in our lives that cannot be dislodged. Um, for whatever reason, God won't do it without another person. Some healing can only come through others. Which is why, but then that's going to require vulnerability so, in other words, if I, to confess, if I'm going to confess and then have healing, pray for healing in my life. Now, we might have a struggle in our life. We may have an issue that we have that is a consistent issue for us. And it really it, it is something that we're actually not proud of. We may even be ashamed of it. We may feel like we struggle. And we may have episodes from time to time. And we need to be able to talk about that or at least get prayer for that in a safe way. 
Now that comes because we trust people, but it, how do you, it's hard to confess to people we haven't, we don't trust. And yet trust only comes, relational trust is a product of having time together and living life together. So if I live life together with you, I can build relational trust. Out of that relational trust, I can then have a freedom to confess when things are not going well or when I'm failing, or yes, even when I'm sinning and need God to show up in my life and I need help, I need healing inside of me. In those places, I need to have someone else pray. There, you see this? Confess one to another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. There are some healings and breakthroughs that can't come any other way than that way. Like that's the way the Lord is going to, he's going to mediate his grace through the other. And I, I can only tell you that in my own life, I found that to be the case. Like God is, what a blessing to, to invest into people who love, who love me and love God and who can, who, can, who can help strengthen. And you know what? Hopefully I can do the same thing. We all... We need each, the point is we need each other. This is the way it works. And I see this happening right there, the value of relational trust again. And now there are going to be times, I'll just flip this back over one more time. There are going to be times when we are talking and discussing together about the things of God or about faith or about life that all of a sudden, we're not even going to know it. But Jesus, this is the second piece here. Jesus is going to draw near to us. I love that. Right? Into our questions, he comes. Into our struggles, he comes. Into our shame, he comes. Into our suffering, he comes. Into our despair, he comes. I have experienced it hundreds of times, the fellowship that brings him near. Like Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, he said, um, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be among them, in the midst of them. Do you hear? It's almost like he's saying that when you come together in my name, I will show up. There are moments where the Lord is present with us in our conversation. It's like we're talking about him, we're talking about our lives, and all of a sudden, Jesus is with us. Now, I know he's with us, but I mean he shows up in a unique way. It's like the Lord shows up, and he's just there, and I knew it not. I knew it not, but he's there. A lot of times we're together with someone and in the middle of that, that sharing with life with each other, praying for one another, blessing one another, or like I said, it could be a group of us. What happens is we begin to feel the presence of the Lord at work in our lives. That's why it's so important. Again, the one who isolates themselves seeks their own judgment. It won't work as an island or sequestered or kind of disconnected from community. Even, even just attending, and I know it's important, just hearing about it, that's good, but it doesn't substitute for relational connection, because some of this healing only comes in the relationships. And that, a lot of times, I can't share if I don't trust you. And then if I can't have those, those conversations, then there are a lot of places where Jesus wants to go that he's not going to be able to go in my life because I'm not taking the time to actually explore that with someone else or a group of people together. There's so much life in that. Okay, now, again, when it comes to the idea of exchanging with one another, it might be something like sitting and talking and praying for someone you know, praying, praying together, having coffee together. It's possible. Uh, it might be just taking a walk with someone or going, to, you know, on a commute with them to work and we're just talking about the Lord in our lives, right? It, it might be, I agree, it's possible that it might just be having a conversation on the phone or using texting to be able to communicate encouragement to one another. I agree with that as well. I'm a big believer, by the way, in trying to do modest public displays of love for Jesus. Now, I know... I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, 
which is why I say drink coffee, because coffee is better. I'm mean, just saying. Okay, here's the thing. I, I personally, and I'm not talking about ostentatious displays and you know, being obnoxious or anything, but I actually think it's important for those of us who love Jesus to periodically be unashamed and pray for one another in a public environment. And I say that because I know there are times you just never know, beyond the value of it, beyond the value of it, which there is, there's also sometimes I've noticed that there are people who are watching. I watch. I notice. I notice. I noticed last, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was watching a couple. They were going in, they were in a restaurant, and I, I didn't know, I wasn't sure. All of a sudden, I saw the, the, them reach over and begin to pray over their meal. And it's, you know, I, it's, it stirred me to feel like, I didn't, I actually, sometimes I'll say something, sometimes I won't, but I just noted it. A lot of times in our small group, I, I, will, I say, let's just pray for each other here. We're not going to be loud, but people see us praying for one another. And a lot of times there are people who are running away from God who, who have once known him. There are people who all of a sudden something catches and, and they're looking and they're watching and they're feeling like they're being called home in some way. This is my home. And it's a reminder, don't run from me. I'm just, we don't know. So the value of also just sharing with one another, praying for one another, and that was my main point was to be able to encourage one another, um, you know, especially when we're in mutual dismay over a situation, you know, like this one. They, 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 okay, what was happening here, and I just say this real quickly, is they were just trying to process things out. That's how we would say it. They were just trying to work things through. As they're trying to process things out in their dismay about what has happened, they didn't know it, Jesus shows up. And, you know, he starts talking with them. He starts interacting with them. And I thought, you know, a lot of times that's, again, the value of having connectedness and community. That's why we really encourage, I'm not just saying, I'm not trying to sell something. I believe in small groups. You know, we have this thing in, in the church, the women's ministry, for example. They do this purely organically. Oh, and here's the thing. I get that technology, it can be dangerous. I do. I'm not naive. We got, we have a, we have a harder time talking we have a harder time concentrating, not to mention all the landmines that are out there. I mean, it's designed to get us addicted. There's no question. And anybody who misses that is because is there's money to be made. That's just the truth. And the thing of it is, it's taken an extreme toll on all of us. I'm not apart from that. I mean, I'm part of the culture. I want to say that is, and it, and it has to be monitored, it has to be watched. We have to be very careful. I mean, a lot of us have gotten ourselves into very innocent addictions of just, we, we have a hard time even sometimes just talking and having genuine conversation with it. I was kind of joking, but I'm not totally, about not being able to have long periods of time not connected to our technology. And that's not even mentioning that for some of us, it creates all kinds of other problems because everybody's, and I, I know I don't have so much time, but here's the thing. People are curating their lives online and only showing us the good parts. That's not real life. That's fake. We, and then we compare ourselves to that fake world that only showcases the highlights for the most part, and then we feel less than. Now that's just, that's just like one small piece. Then we're not even talking about the addictive stuff that's out there. Now having said that, I am not anti-technology. I believe it can be used for good. I, like I was saying, 
like in a small group, there's been a couple of times where we've happened is where we've been able to send out rapid communication. Hey, let's pray for one another. Boom, 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 boom. Or I feel like I, I'm supposed to pray for someone. Send that prayer out in form, honest, right away. Or we're, we're all be able to, there's a lot of good, like the high, we have a women's group in the church called High Five. They just started organically. My wife actually started with a few others. And all they do, these are women only who, who made a decision to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and then they just kind of connect with each other, hold each other accountable to do their devotions before their day starts. And that group has grown. They've got all kinds of pods now all over. And if you feel led to, I think you could jump in if you want to do. And I'll tell you this right now. A lot of them were not early risers, <laughs> like, like the one who started it. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but we are a team. Now, I, I, I watch that and I go, wow, so there's a lot of positive. But it's about the idea of building community. Okay, I need to say, this is the last thing I'll say, not only about on this, and then we'll leave it here, is that I also believe, and we'll just put it up there, is that I think, and again, Jesus draws near while they're discussing. I, I, really, I really think that he desires to personally engage us in the conversation, the conversation of our life. And I need to say that because I've been talking about community. I've been talking about engaging other people. I've been talking about building friendships. I've been talking about how there is some healing that can only come with others, that the only way God's grace and healing will flow is through others. But that requires vulnerability. How can I be vulnerable if I don't trust you? How can I trust you? I have to build a relationship with you. What does that mean? I've got to put in time. So you can see how it is. Having said that, I want to say that the Lord also wants to engage us in a very unique way on our own in terms of the conversation of our life. And as I got there, I started thinking, Lord, there are things in my life that I need to talk to you about. And I'm so thankful that you care about me. There are some struggles, majority of them I will share with people. But there might be a few things. It's just going to be between me and Jesus. And I'm going to ask the Lord, is it do am I supposed to share this or is it something that I just need to work out with you? In everything, there's a time. One of the things I've come to understand as the years have gone by is that he deeply cares. You know, really, if you think about it, Jesus, think about this. Jesus himself is God engaging the human race in conversation. <coughs> the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1 says. He pitched his tent among us. Jesus is God, in a sense, having conversation with humanity, but Jesus wants to have conversation with us uniquely in our own life, in our own heart. And I would say, no matter what happens, don't ever forget what, if, what you have. He said, listen, he, this is what he said on the night he was betrayed, and I'll leave it here. He said, I am your Lord, I am your master, that is true. But he also said this, I'm your friend. And for him to say that, like, well, you're, the, you're so great. You're the Lord. You're like, I'm also your friend. I'm your friend. You can trust me, right? I can trust you. And there are some things, honestly, there's no other friend I have that I can go to the way I can go to him. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Don't ever forget what we have. The pearl of great price. Having found the pearl, sell all that I have to obtain it. No greater gift. All right, we're going to close. I'm going to pray. We'll have our time of giving. While we're having our time of giving, there'll be a coming up video that will show, and then we're going to close out with a, a, a song that connects thematically 
like a closing point of prayer to everything that we just shared here. But let me pray. So Lord, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity just to be here together and to be able to share this word. I ask that there would come greater layers of community that would produce ultimately the relationships that would ultimately bring forth the kind of trust and friendships that would allow for deep healing to take place, knowing that some healing can only happen when, we come, when it comes through the other that you've placed into our lives or the others, that the prayer of healing, that makes a difference. And for others of us, Lord, you're calling us to a place of greater intimacy with you. Wherever that is, Lord, I just ask that, you know what, help us to see you. Uh, remind us that you're there. Even when we don't, don't know it, you're with us. Uh, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. And I am the friend that will not abandon you. Thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the utter loyalty of your friendship in our lives. You're not only my Lord, you're my best friend ever. You'll walk with me past this life into the next, just like you did. And I ask that you would just continue to work in our lives for the people. Give us wonderful people to be our friends. We thank you for them. We thank you for the people who are our friends. And we thank you, Lord. Help us then to be quality friends as well. Back to really love in your name, to heal in your name to be there in your name, to listen in your name, to pray in your name together. In Jesus' name, I pray this, Lord. Amen, God. <laughs>